Welcome to Building Charleston, a podcast where we shine a bright light on the dynamic companies changing the landscape of Charleston, South Carolina. My name is Matt Chapdelaine, and as your host each week, I'll be bringing you the most interesting business owners in the Lowcountry. We'll explore how they got to where they are, what they're working on, and what their vision is for the future of Charleston. Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. This episode of Building Charleston is brought to you by Lane Commercial Real Estate, the Low Country's premier commercial real estate brokerage firm focused on Charleston's office, retail, and industrial tenants. If you're responsible for your company's real estate needs and your company is expanding, looking to open a new location, or opening the first location in the Charleston area, give Lane Commercial Real Estate a call at 843-508-3038 or go to the website at www.lanecre.com. That's L-A-I-N-E-C-R-E.com. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Building Charleston podcast, the podcast where we take a moment each week to meet the leaders changing the landscape of Charleston, South Carolina. My name is Matt Chapdelaine. I'm the host of Building Charleston and the broker in charge at Lane Commercial Real Estate, the Low Country's premier commercial real estate company representing Charleston's office, industrial, and retail tenants with their commercial leases. We are recording this podcast on November 15th, 2019, at the offices of Lane Commercial Real Estate. Building a strong technology foundation is the priority for every modern city in the United States. In order to grow that base, that foundation, a city needs a couple of key ingredients. First, that city needs the talent to identify opportunities where technology can be used, and it needs competent entrepreneurs who can found a company and guide that company from idea to reality. Next, a modern and growing city needs to provide the resources, both monetary and guidance, to ensure that a young company has what it takes to succeed. Charleston, South Carolina is no different. We're fostering young technology companies and providing them with the resources to grow. Today's show is focused on growing technology companies in Charleston and the people who are investing in them. Today's guests are AJ Rikiki from Sentio, a venture-backed technology company here in Charleston, and Eric Tommy from Venture South Charleston, a venture capital platform investing in companies in the South. AJ and Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Let's get things started. AJ, we'd love to learn a little bit more about Sentio and how you got started. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got Sentio going? Yeah, absolutely. My name is AJ Rikiki, the CEO of Sentio. We're based just over in Mount Pleasant, just a few miles away from Charleston. We help companies reliant on the hourly workforce reduce turnover and hire great people. So it was always amazing to me that despite tremendous turnover in a lot of different industries, let's say quick service restaurant with 132% annual turnover, that people are still hiring in the old fashioned way, where you get somebody off the street, you bring them in for an interview and you just hire and hope. And so what Sentio does is it helps these companies get extra data on the individual candidate and predict if they're going to stay at your company long term, or if they're going to turn over, which in the hourly workforce costs $5,000 per candidate. How did you start Sentio? Was this kind of the version 1.0 or there's how did been, this all come I about? Mean, I think like all great technology companies, there's been a few iterations of Sentio. The first build was actually to help professional sports teams predict who was going to be successful in the NFL draft. 
Okay. So if you look at the last couple of years, the NFL is not very good at predicting the success of quarterbacks, as an example. They draft people like Vince Young and John Manziel, only last a few years in the league, while Tom Brady, the best player to ever live, drops the 199th pick. Mm-hmm. So that means that 32 teams with $155 million in salary cap passed on him six times. How's that happen? And so the first version of Sentia was to help these companies with mental makeup analysis or personality assessment be able to predict which NFL quarterback is going to be great and what's going to bust. And in the first two years of working with those professional sports teams, we actually doubled their win percentage in baseball, volleyball, soccer, and just about everything in between. So then how did you jump from that to hourly wage employees? Yeah, so we took on some money from an investor that owned a professional sports team. And we kind of looked at the business and said, okay, this is really cool technology. How do we scale it? Mm -hmm. And kind of part of that process, we learned or discovered that there's maybe 200 professional sports teams in the country. There's 27 million small businesses. And a lot of the technology we're using could apply to that hourly workforce. So we took that early version of the Sentio platform, transitioned it into a self-service model with the help of Venture South, and it's been scaling ever since. Awesome. So who are your customers then? Well, we work with just about every type of small business. So we work with franchisees, so like McDonald's, Hinton Hotels. We work with manufacturing companies like Heister Yale, Humaner here in Charleston. We work with car dealerships. We work with small businesses, technology companies. Anyone who has entry-level or hourly employees is not exempt to the pains and the ramifications of turnover. So Sentio is really built to address a lot of those. Okay. So anytime you break new barriers and technology can do some really cool things, but it makes some people uncomfortable. There could be some concerns. I have one for you. How do you ensure that your software stays within you know the compliance of hiring laws? Yeah, it's a good question. So I think that there is a culture in tech, a bad culture of let's break things, mm-hmm. right? Like let's just go out and try something and see if it's legal or see if it's compliant after. We took a very different approach. So despite having a lot of recent success and with the help of Venture South, of course, I've actually been building technology for almost six years. And so during those six years, in the very early days, we did a lot of validation studies where we tracked people through their hiring process, where we saw how effective it was to make sure it didn't have adverse effect against any race, religion, or creed, or things along those lines. And through that kind of dormant period, we were able to get the proper paperwork and people to say, okay, this is legal, Mm -hmm. and it's completely compliant with all governing bodies as it pertains to human law. Excellent. So you are a venture-backed tech company headquartered in Charleston. Sounds like the majority of your capitals come from the South. What's been your experience raising capital in the South? Yeah, it's been really good. So I think as an entrepreneur, you see you kind of get caught in this whirlwind of, oh, venture capital is everywhere. And now you can go to San Francisco, you can go to New York, you can go to Atlanta to raise your first big round. But what a lot of people don't know is that in order to get that first venture round, you typically need $1 million, $5 million, or $10 million of ARR, which is annual recurring revenue. Mm -hmm. And for a software company, that is incredibly difficult to do. Because first, you have to build technology people want, they have to buy it, and you have to keep them for a very long period of time. And so with raising money here, it's been great to work with Venture South because they kind of bridge the gap between, okay, let's get this proof of concept, let's prove that we can sell it, but let's scale with Venture South's money and prove that we can get to those thresholds so that we can do those really big equity venture rounds and really start scaling to that $100 million, $200 million mark. Awesome. Well, this is a great time to bring Eric into the conversation. I'm just a big fan of what Venture South does and how you bring structure to the deployment of venture capital in Charleston and the South. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and Venture South? 
Sure. I'm Eric Tommy. I am the director of Venture South Charleston. I'm one of leaders of one of our 13 groups across the Carolinas. We're a angel investing network. We look for deals across the Southeast and facilitate those deals across our hundreds of angel members across the Carolinas. We are looking to do probably 10 to 20 different early stage deals every year and have hit record numbers for the last five years that I know of. As far as investments, investable opportunities, new members. And so we've really help see and I think help grow some of this sort of interest at this stage of company and investing across the Southeast. So what kind of companies do you invest in then? High scale companies have Mm -hmm. the opportunity to really grow maybe 10 times over in the next five years, have an incredible leadership team, defined exit strategy, because without a liquidation event, our investors can't get their money back. Mm -hmm. And in the space where we say we're industry agnostic, but we really kind of fall about a third in software and tech, a third manufacturing and a third healthcare. Okay. How many companies have you invested in? Is there kind of an average check size or a stage in terms? The average check size for Venture South has grown over the last few years as we've grown a number of members and we've received some pretty good exits. And so money is coming back to members that they've reinvested. Average check size now is probably around 800000 to a $1 million. Where we're looking to take lead in the rounds for the companies trying to raise one to $1.5 million. That's raised up significantly over the last few years. Typically, that's off evaluation of companies that are two to four or five million dollars in valuation. Mm-hmm. So these companies are selling 10 to 40 percent of their equity. Okay, that's a tricky one, and I'm going to ask you as best I can to answer this. It's a very difficult question to answer clearly, but do your best if you don't mind. How do investors look at an early stage company who may be you know post product pre revenue or post product and just into the revenue stage? How do you come up with a post money valuation? Do you use comps? Is it Cash flow analysis. So valuation at this stage is art and science Mm -hmm. and quite a bit more art than science. We look at one to three different ways to try to analytically value a company. But right, if there's not a lot of cash flow, you can't do a discounted cash flow Mm -hmm. analysis. So we look to kind of set what the market is, where the exit opportunity is, and try to do something that's very fair for our investors as our members and for the startup. We want them to be incredibly successful because we want them to not just knock it out of the ballpark with this one, but come back and do it again. Yeah. We want to have the right terms so we're creating the right environment to lead from multiple successes. Awesome. What's it take to be a member of Venture South? It sounds like there's a lot of people on it that are collectively bringing these checks together, which I think is awesome. It's the power of bringing so many different people together. What's it take to be a member? How many members do you have? Members need to be accredited. And okay. That's an SEC rule that companies should be raising money from accredited individuals. And so that's our bar for membership. And then there's a fee to join, an annual fee that gets you access to all of our deal flow. Our online portal gets you to all the data behind what we're doing and access to where we do monthly roadshows. So the companies that we invest in, you get to meet on a monthly basis. So the people that join are obviously in it to make money, but then to see new technology, new businesses, meet with founders, have a chance to mentor Young or seasoned entrepreneurs through the roller coaster ahead, that's the excitement level that gets people to meetings and gets them to be invested. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've been able to sit in on a few meetings and not only do you get to see some really cool companies, but the members of the group are pretty dynamic themselves. You look around and the people that are in there have done some pretty amazing things in their own right. So it makes for a pretty dynamic group. Follow up to the prior question. As best you can, where do you see kind of post-money valuations falling these days? Is it that 3 to $4 million range? Is that kind of a fair assumption or is it they kind of all over the mark where it's kind of hard to say? It depends on the industry and the company and okay. the stage. Uh, we've seen them start to increase across the Southeast over the last few years as funds have increased and maybe more money at play. 
give or take. Three to five million is a pretty good sort of take that we've seen higher. We've seen some biomedical companies that have raised quite a bit in grant revenue, mm-hmm. not necessarily customer revenue, that have a pretty good size valuation. And so it's, it's not exactly apples to apples with B2B SaaS company. Okay. I'm sure you see a lot of companies come your way. You got to pick the ones you want to go after. And I hear this from you know young companies, if, if they'll approach me and say, hey, Matt, do you think we're ready for money? What is an investor? What makes a company investable? Is it revenue? Is it, is it advisors? Is it patents? What makes it a company look investable to an investor? Yeah. And again, there'll be some different things you see at different stages, but probably throughout, it's the team. That's the number one thing. Without a great team, we're not going to get involved. Mm-hmm. For Venture South, we publish, we have a 10-point rubric that we put into our due diligence, and we have an index score attached to all of those. The index score is weighted, and so the top two things, the team and the exit strategy. We have to know that there's a plan to have a liquidation event. Otherwise, our business model doesn't work. But it it goes through the gamut of the idea, the market, the competition, their progress to date, their path going forward, intellectual protection, and the deal terms. There's a lot of different ways for a deal to come together. There's a lot of different ways for a deal to fall apart. (laughs) But essential to it is that you know and trust this team that they'll be able to weather the storms and to deliver for clients, and in the end, deliver for your investors. Excellent. So, Eric, you are an investor in Centio. What was it about Centio that you guys liked before you invested? Thank you. I worried it took too much time from AJ. Well, and AJ was very kind saying how VentureSouth has helped, but we're here today because of AJ and Centio Mm -hmm. to talk about this, so really excited for them. Again, it highlights some of what our investment strategy is, and it's you find a team. And so between AJ and Pete, There's both seasoned and very energetic entrepreneurs that are passionate about what the problem they're trying to solve and being creative in how they're trying to do it. They took, I think, a pretty good business model, and you can correct me on this, but there was consulting practice with revenue coming in that was really tied Sentio into the marketplace. They knew their customer and the voice of their customer. So as they're creating a SaaS kind of product that could really scale, it was not a question of do they really know is there a need in the marketplace. They knew the need. Mm -hmm. So then you can kind of come into a software challenge of just delivering on that. And that's just a matter of resources and time, perhaps. Yeah. So AJ, what's it been like working with Venture South as a partner? It's been amazing. You hear a lot of horror stories about working with individual angels, right? Where you have to raise, let's say, $500,000. So you take $50,000 checks from 10 individual people. And that's very time consuming as a founder, as well as stressful, because everybody wants different things. And they're calling you at different times of the night and they're stopping you at dinner while you're with your wife and saying, hey, how's the revenue this quarter? Yeah. And Venture South does a really good job of assigning one point person where all other angels can fall under and managing that relationship so we have one simple point of contact. Because you know the single most important commodity to any startup founder is time. And whenever you have an opportunity to reduce your cycles and things that are outside of revenue generating activity, it's incredibly effective yeah and so from that point alone i mean working with eric and matt and the, all the other investors have been so helpful with getting us off the ground so i have nothing but amazing things to say about it that's awesome and eric what's your deal flow like i mean companies like sentio don't just you know they're not a dime a dozen they're probably pretty rare are you seeing more companies than you know you know what to do with or do you have more money than you know what to do with or is, is the balance kind of healthy at this point we're always looking for more and better deal flow. Venture South historically invests in probably less than 2% of all the deals that we assess. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to scour the Southeast for investable deals. 
and find out what matches with the interest of our members, where they can add value, be interested to write checks. However, we've yet to find a cap on the financial interest of our investors. As our network continues to grow, we continue to write larger checks and more checks. Our investment targets over the last few years is around $3 million. A couple of years ago, $4.5 million. Two years ago, $7 million last year, wow. and it should be over $10 million this year. And so we continue to find more appetite. At some point, if it ever caps out, then we guess we'll start to look to cap membership. But <laughs> along with the rise of the Southeast, as far as entrepreneurship, technology, venture, I think we've got a long runway ahead of us. That's awesome. AJ, what advice would you have for young companies who are looking to raise capital for the first time? It's something that sexy, it gets a lot of headlines, but it's, it's certainly not easy. I think two things. First is be ready and committed to spending a lot of time on it. A lot of times you think, okay, I'm going to call this investor there and call me back. We're going to do diligence. They're going to write a check. Well, that's just never the case. Raising money is a six-month process because if you have a good, sustainable business, you have a lot of options and you have a lot of different term sheets. Trying to figure out which one is oftentimes just as hard as trying to get one. And my second piece of advice would be build a strong, sustainable business that doesn't need additional capital after this raise. So a lot of times, and really why the tech bubble happened was people were raising money and burning far more cash than they were bringing in in this attempt for extreme and rapid growth. And especially in the Southeast, I just feel like you should be able to turn whatever investment you get into profitability and then scale that into that hyper growth that you need. Don't try to figure it out when you get the money. Try to make sure that you have the sales process down, you understand the cycles, and you understand your customer sets. Really important things. So back to the basics. Just build a good company, and hopefully the rest will take care of itself. It seems obvious, but it's not (laughs) often. I mean, Eric's probably seen a little bit of everything. It's the allure of the the big capital raise is... Those are headline numbers, right? This yeah. company has raised X number of million dollars. People like reading about that, but it's, yeah. you know, it's not easy. You're right, though. And AJ, you make a great point that the entrepreneurs that get stuck on the idea that fundraising is the goal miss out in the long term. The goal is building a great, valuable company that provides value to customers mm-hmm. and clients and returns it profitably. Are there any themes or specific things that you look for in a, in a company that approaches you for money and the way they ask it is it a big red flag if somebody comes to you and says hey we just want to raise money or is it better just to say hey we have this great business oh and we're raising money is there a part to that story that you kind of look for or get turned off on we really love for companies to know what we're looking for they've done okay. their research and their own due diligence there are many sources of capital out there and different requirements for all those different sources So knowing what we look at and what we require and someone who's done their homework to bring it to us, we like that and we know everyone does. So we think all Mm -hmm. founders should do that homework before reaching out to capital. Awesome. AJ, I got a question for you. What's been the hardest part of growing your company so far? That's a tough question. I think being a young technical CEO, it's been management of the sales process. And I'm very product driven. I like the ones and zeros. I like to provide value for customers, but I don't have an extroverted personality where I'm going to cold call 50 people in a day. And I am able to make up for that because I surround myself with a really good team. And I think early on, I learned the importance of that team. And so we brought on a COO that grew his last company to $1.2 billion in revenue. And so really early on, I got good coaching from the Venture South team far before we raised is, it's a really cool idea and you're doing some really disruptive things, but you know, in order to be truly investable, you need to be able to scale that technology through sales. 
And that's just not going to be you. And me having to take a really hard look in the mirror and say, nope, I'm not that person and have to be incredibly self-aware of what I am good at, capitalize on those things and fill gaps of where I have challenges. Awesome. Eric, what support does Venture South offer their portfolio companies besides writing checks? I know there's a lot of communication back and forth. What kind of guidance do you guys typically give? Back up a little bit. As we see pitches, and it's pretty incredible, in any given room, we've got hopefully dozens of angels, and there'll be that kind of goosebump moment where somebody can raise their hand and say, I know this market. I've been in this for decades. I know who to call. I know the hairpin terms they're going to see. And the goosebump moment, I'm getting it right now because people get so excited because there's this great synergy. And that's typically the person that will get most involved in due diligence and hopefully will be our board seat and liaison person to help shepherd through. Because we are looking to leverage the expanded network, you know, the network effect of all these angels, not just across the Southeast, but across the globe for sales, for mentorship, for just experience and funnel that through the appropriate channels so mm-hmm. we're not bothering our CEOs. We look for, I think, demand quarterly updates, financial and others, but we ask for monthly. We know there's going to be troubles. We want to hear about the good things, but we really want to hear about the bad things, too, because we want to help. We want to leverage our network. That's awesome. This is a conversation that's kind of near and dear to my heart and I think is really topical just with everything that's going on in the tech scene in Charleston. I feel like we could keep going, but I, you know, this is the type of part of the show where I kind of start to bring things home and wrap it up. What you're both doing, whether it's you know the funding of a company or executing a business plan, it's having a major impact on Charleston. I mean, you guys are the ones who are dictating what Charleston's going to look like in a couple of years. So it's a question I ask of everybody on the podcast as we wrap up. I'm going to ask the question of both of you, what your vision for Charleston is, and I'll let you guys decide who wants to go first. My vision for Charleston. Charleston has always been a very entrepreneurial town in my uneducated historical perspective. As a port <laughs> town, there's a lot of businesses here, few giant employers. And so some of the challenge of people as they're moving and relocating to Charleston is what are they going to do? And the solution is really pretty interesting. There's a lot of entrepreneurs doing very different things. However, it's also been sort of a lifestyle sort of business entrepreneurial town, mom and pop size, and it's Mm -hmm. just large enough. I think some of the paradigm shift that we're seeing happen is a scale mentality. The idea if you're going to start a company, you're going to start a growth company that can service the world from Charleston. And there's resources that are here and relocating to Charleston to service that, both from the talent perspective and from the business perspective and capital perspective as well. So I think we'll start to see more clusters of scale entrepreneurship that will start to get around some natural industries. I can see it being around port and logistics. I can see it being around advanced manufacturing. I can see it being tech in certain spaces. You know, it seems sort of the HR tech space is something that Charleston is starting to do. And then hopefully also around medical and healthcare with MUSC here. That could be another cluster. Awesome. I have great faith in Charleston. It's actually why I relocated here from New York. And I think it's a really innovative town. And I say that because I believe there's two facets of innovation. The first facet, of course, being the creation of an innovative product. And more importantly, is the adoption of said innovation. And at least when we first got started, we had a lot of companies and founders reach out to me and say, hey, I heard you're working on this cool technology. Do you need us for a case study? Do you need me to teach you how to do X, Y, Z? And that collaboration creates a lot of new entrepreneurs. And I said this to Matt in a previous conversation. I don't feel like there's anyone in town that I couldn't touch with a few phone calls. And that's really special Mm -hmm. to Charleston. And so 
because of those things, I just see tremendous growth, particularly in the technology industry. You're already seeing these exits kind of stacking up, right? It all started with the automated trade desk in the early 2000s that kind of brought Blackboard and Method Focus, which kind of brought, you know, mentorship and leadership to Boomtown Fish Labs and, you know, Ceteris. And now we are the next generation that comes up. And the positive thing is it's kind of accelerating, that the rate is accelerating of which that's happening. I have a lot of faith in the future of Charleston, and I'm just really humbled and grateful to be a very small part of it. And I know Venture South probably feels the same way. Agreed. Yeah, those are great answers. Well, thank you guys for being on the podcast. I have two bags of popcorn here for you. The sponsor of the show is Pop Popcorn. Everyone who comes on the show gets a bag, so I'll make sure you guys get that. Yeah, it's sometimes people you know get paid to say nice things about their you know their sponsor. Carmen, who makes this stuff, knows that I'm addicted to it. I go through like two or three bags a week. It is really, really good. So where can we get it? You can get it at Boone Hall. You get a couple different bars downtown and she keeps growing. So I think there's like eight or nine different places you can get it in Charleston now. The information to get it will be in the link. The information for both these guys, if you want to reach out to them, I'm going to put that in the show notes. So this is a point in the show where I wrap up with my Building Charleston pro tip. I had a couple different ways I was going to go this week, but the one I settled on is look before you leap. To the founders out there, starting a company is a big deal. So few people actually step out there and do it. When it comes to raising outside capital, that's another equally pivotal phase in the path of growing your business. It's pretty glamorous to read all the headlines of tech companies raising tons of money. And done right, it can be game-changing in a very positive way, as we've seen here today. But done wrong, it can be a nightmare for both the founder and the check writer. So my pro tip, look before you leap. Make sure you do your homework. Talk to everyone you can find who has raised money for a venture of theirs and get their perspective. Also, talk to the people who have written checks to growing companies. Make sure you get as much information as you can because once the equity is gone and the check is cashed, it's very hard to go back. If you like this episode and you want to hear more, please like the podcast and subscribe. Building Charleston publishes each week and we have more exciting interviews on deck. Finally, if you're a business in the low country looking to expand or relocate your business, or if you're listening to us from somewhere outside the Charleston area and you're considering moving your business to the Charleston area, please give me a call. My phone number and my email address are also in the show notes to this podcast. I'm happy to show you what it takes to grow your business here in Charleston, South Carolina. One last time, thank you, Eric. Thank you, AJ. Thank you to the listeners for tuning in. Go out there, everyone, and make it a great day. This episode of Building Charleston is brought to you by Lane Commercial Real Estate, the Low Country's premier commercial real estate brokerage firm focused exclusively on representing Charleston's office, retail, and industrial tenants. If you're responsible for your company's real estate needs and your company is expanding, downsizing, looking to open a new location, or opening the first office in the Charleston area, give us a call at 843-508-3038 or go to our website at www.lanecre.com. That's L-A-I-N-E-C-R-E.com.